0: the sail, sir. I and catch the fish and take some
1: homelizer. Good afternoon. It's 4 p.m. here at WERU FM Blue Hill. Anytime at WERU.org. And time for boat talk, the formerly call-in boating show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors. John Johansson, Mike Joyce, and Alan Sprague. Hopefully someday soon we'll be back in the studio live, but for this month we have a rerun from about 10 years ago, so phone calls can't be taken at this time. Before we get to the reruns from the WERU community calendar at W-E-R-U dot O-R-G, where you can hear even older boat talks in the local public affairs section of the program drop-down electoral curtain there on the left side. Here's an interesting talk on Wednesday, January 19th. There's going to be a Zoom talk about bats offshore. Uh, We're we're not talking about Mike Joyce. Dr. Trevor Peterson is going to give a talk entitled, Offshore Bats and Offshore Islands. It's a Zoom meeting, and it's sponsored by the Maine Coastal Islands Trust. You can register for this Zoom meeting by going to mainecoastislands.com dot org maincoastislands.org all, all one word the zoom meeting is wednesday the 19th from six thirty to seven thirty. i checked and i couldn't find any main islands named bat island but there is a mosquito island off saint george you might look there but not right now
0: I the sails sail, sir. I survive catch
1: the fish and take some home to lie, sir. Good morning, good morning. Ahoy there to all you folks out there. Arg, to our pirate buddies. It's time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio. WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and streaming around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Two old sailors who believe that ice boaters make fast
0: friends. That's a good one, given, yeah, we'll do some ice boat talk this morning. That's a
1: bumper sticker material right there.
0: Yeah, Alan's the punny one, as always. Pretty slick. Yeah, and we have a couple of uh, guests here this morning. We have Rebecca Hunter. She's come in because her dad had some great ice boat poems. He was a great ice boater, and we're going to hear some of that in a minute, and we have another guest as well.
1: We have Larissa Curlich from the Marine Environmental Research Institute right here in Blue Hill. We're going to be talking with her a little bit later about what's going on in our oceans, some trouble circulating for gyres, as it were.
0: We might call uh Captain J.B. Smith back down to uh he's down Jefferson, Booth Bay Way. Well, he's in Florida, actually. Florida, right all right. He can yeah. be anywhere he wants. The Ocean Classroom Institute is the point. We uh, talked to JB last month on Boat Talk, but w- the station itself was off the air. We were broadcasting only on the web. We had a really nice little time, but yeah, we it could have been a little time. It's hard to tell. Uh, so we we uh, might like to talk to JB again for a minute. And there you go. There's a couple months' worth of Boat Talk right there, and we'll try to fit it into this hour.
1: Yeah, we're going to have a lot of uh, uh, pencil and paper kind of information. So if you're doing something that... Uh, not like not driving and you have pencil paper you might want to keep it handy for some boat talk uh some websites and some phone numbers to to write down as we go on during the show
0: and but we'll go we'll go light on the uh marine news this this month to uh, get right to the poetry but there are a couple little things and one of them if you're short for Valentine's Day you might want to get a pencil and paper we'll fix that for you if you need a present something sweet but uh global warming is opening up the arctic for Fiber cable, and there's a company that is proposing to lay a fiber optic cable between Tokyo and London through the Northwest Passage. And because of the ice retreating, they won't need any icebreakers. And so they can do it for only $1.2 billion, which is, uh, I guess, you know, pretty expensive compared to a $300 million cable from fr- San Francisco to Tokyo, for instance. <clears throat> but here's the thing this cable would cut the transmission time. From Tokyo to London by 52 milliseconds. Oh, my God. Yes, 52 milliseconds from like 140 milliseconds to, to uh, you know, uh, uh, 48 or something, okay? And the thing is that in the financial world, world those 52 milliseconds, the difference there can be used to make money. <laughs> Boy. Isn't that great how the Northwest Passage will open up and, and civilization will be, you know...
1: A little bit better yeah, off, Yeah, really, that comes true. They're going to start bringing heaters up there. To yeah, make it even
0: and <laughs> this is an expensive proposition even if the ice melts, but if the financial industry will go for it, uh, they can fund that very easily, and, and there we are. So anyway, wasn't that interesting? Now here's a better one. And again, if you're short for uh, Valentine's Day, the Allied Whale People are offering you can ad- adopt a humpback or a finback whale. And give it to your sweetie. I have one actually. My you sweetie do? gave me. Yeah,
1: I have a shares in one called Snowflake.
0: I've never, <laughs> I've never doubted your capacity for romance, Alan.
1: <laughs> it's a oil of. Love.
0: You get uh, for your donation. You get a. Uh, your gift includes a photo of an individual uh, uh, identified whale, uh, permanent adoption certificate, a waterproof field guide, and a sixty-page book. Um, you have to do this by February 10th tomorrow and expedite shipping so you can get all this stuff by Valentine's Day. You want to get a hold of the uh, Bar Harbor Whale Museum at 288-0288 or uh, alliedwhale.org, and a humpback or a finback would be like 40 bucks If you want to get a mother and a calf, it would be 50
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. It would make kind of a fluky gift, wouldn't it?
0: There you go. Right, here we go. So anyway, that's uh, that's about Valentine's Day. One more quick thing. There's uh, some people called the Subsea Research Group out of, out of uh, Gorham, Maine, that we've got our eyes on. Yeah. And uh, they are uh, long-term involved down in Haiti, and right now they are trying to get up a relief project to go down there. They have a very shallow craft with cranes on it. They can bring right in four feet of water next to the beach, put things right on the beach. They don't even need a pier. They also, the reason... They are interested in Haiti, and mind you, uh, you interviewed the guy from Nauticos. Yeah, Um, David Jordan. Yes, an undersea research place out of Cape Porpoise, Maine. Now, they have all these instruments about mapping the sea and and finding things, but these guys and the other guys, too, really they want to find treasure. And that's why they're down in Haiti for all these years. There's a lot of treasure down there. It used to be a pirate. Oh, yeah. A pirate uh, uh, Fortress of Solitude sort of thing. Arg, again. And they've already identified one wreck with 50 cannons. They think it's one wreck with 50. That's got to be a big ship. Okay. And that's why they're interested in Haiti. This guy Greg Brooks out of Gorham, Maine. We hope to talk to him later on. Subsea Research Group. Yep. Subsearesearch.com. Yeah. yeah pretty interesting stuff.
1: Anyway. So... So I have one little announcement of a, a interesting talk that's going to be happening in Rockland on Thursday at the uh, Atlantic Challenge down on uh, where is their address here? 63 Main Street in Rockland. They're going to be um, hosting Captain Frank Blair of the schooner Maggie B. He uh, took the boat around the world starting, I guess, it was three years ago, and uh, did it in several stops, but took family members along and has made a lot of photographs of the uh, of the journey. This talk is going to be happening on Thursday, February eleventh, seven p.m. It's part of the Atlantic Challenges second thursday's at the apprentice shop lecture series which works out pretty well for for us since it follows the uh, second tuesday of the month for talk. we didn't always mention that
0: we mentioned we uh, showed up there one night to i don't know we sat at a table and hung out uh, one of those lecture things and it was standing room only that night we didn't even get to see the lecture so you yeah. might want to show up early at the apprentice shop
1: yeah there is a small fee but that supports the atlantic challenge and uh It said in this description of his talk, at the lecture he will show photos of the trip and discuss the ill fate of the Maggie B. We hate it when we hear ill fate Uh, and boat together in the same sentence.
0: Yeah, ain't that the truth.
1: So that's going to be happening Thursday evening at the Atlantic Challenge in Rockland.
0: We like to uh, catch everybody up on what we're talking about here. A lot of people have never seen an ice boat or can't imagine such a thing. It's just a... uh, any excuse to uh, uh, hold a sail up forward and a seat back aft, generally, and uh, not to be too too bendy. It has to uh, be very stiff to take the amount of force that comes onto the sail and loads down on the mast. But anyway, um, generally you sail an ice boat up into the wind, and it can reach surprisingly fast speeds. Um, 60 miles an hour or so is what people uh, hope to you know, be going on an average Um 12foot ice boat around here on a really fast day now for years the fastest thing on the planet was an ice boat. Um, they used to the old old days they used to sail them up the Hudson River and beat the trains which were the other fastest thing on the planet at the time and and those ice boats you know uh, big one get going uh, you know the records 121 miles an hour 127 miles an hour somewhere in that vicinity which I'm telling you what if you are sitting outside, several inches above the ice and have nothing but the wind in your teeth. I mean, you are got to have a helmet and all that, but right. um, it is a rush. And you have never really been sailing unless you've sailed an ice boat. And I've always said that, and oh. I believe it very mm-hmm. firmly. Oh, yeah. it
1: is. Um, you always want to make sure you go to the bathroom before you sail.
0: <laughs> it's also a very social sport, well, and we want to shout out to the Chickawakee people who are hey, hopefully guys. listening this morning. But anyway, it's a very social sport. And... Um, You'll stand around and watch other people take a run or you'll uh, take a run and you'll come up behind somebody and you're going faster than them. So now we're racing. (laughs) And uh, I've never seen anybody that uh, got into an ice boat. Oh, I couldn't. Yes, you could try it out and (laughs) didn't come back going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) It is a, you just can't believe the rush. Uh And uh, here's the other thing we need to explain. Ice boaters are a strange bunch because of that. And what they're looking for is a very cold, very windy day when most people want to be inside on the couch and uh... they don't want a lot of snow we'll get to uh... this but um, you know uh... the rainstorm that came just recently it, it no doubt delighted them because it would make the ponds all icy again
2: and yeah and i know they've been sailing on damascotta lake that's where i'm from it's yeah. my dad's home base and hopefully someone will call in and give us a nice update and where you can find uh, info on the club and the conditions and the hotline number and all that because i don't have that stuff
0: That'd be Yeah. Great. Um, Rebecca, you, your dad was an ice boater and a boater and, and just, uh, yeah. you know, he just wanted to be in, in and on the water, didn't he?
2: Obsessed, I would say. That yeah. would be an understatement.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know. But he was also an English major.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And he liked a uh, certain kind of poetry and, and uh, you know, so he wrote some. And you said in the tradition of Robert Service. That's right. And and Robert Frost.
2: Robert Service, probably number one influence on the ice boating poetry with the, uh, the, the drama that, um, macho is the word that came to mind sorry i the, the uh, big adventure in the cold uh service wrote about going to the arctic and the yukon and all that right. so making it sound really these really big tough adventures um drama dramatized yeah there's another understatement about my father dramatic
0: but it's a beautiful bu- <laughs> it's a uh, great style too it rhymes and it, it's yeah uh, so the uh, frost uh, influence episodic ballad too. kind of thing and, and yeah. uh, so anyway i, I yeah. You sent me some of the stuff and it just knocked me over. It's Isn't fantastic. Fun? Yeah. It's
2: amazing. And I thank you so much for the invite, you guys, because, like I was telling Mike, there's not a lot of opportunity in my life to share this with anyone because most people in the world I meet don't even know what an ice boat is. And then, you know, the poetry would make no sense to them. And it's wonderful to have this audience who is probably a higher percentage of people who know what I'm talking about than any other audience I would ever experience. So thank there you. you go. It's fun. Very well, fun. do you
0: have, can you share one?
2: I'll give you the first one. It's got to be Ice Watch. Um, it's the it was my dad's most often recited, probably the most often requested, and most comprehensible to people who don't know the sport. Um, and it's uh, I call it the ice boater's national anthem, which <laughs> it should be if it ain't. So, um, and one thing I would need to define is uh, he uses the term two knuckles deep to refer to the thickness of the ice, which is um, what, the first ice of the season when you're trying to figure out if it's safe enough to go on that really black, shiny ice. You pound a hole in it and stick your fingers down in there. and, And if it's two knuckles deep, then it's about two inches and they would this yeah, is what I've I learned this morning, thank you. There, but I, I'm not sure there's going to be some warden freaking out now. I, I'm not sure I would recommend going out on two inches for people who aren't really experienced with ice, but, but they uh, do it. You've got to get out there when it's that beautiful mirror, fresh ice. So Ice Watch. When old King Cold's reach is bold down in his frozen lair, it's then we sleep in covers deep and shiver upon the stair. It's then some curse their northern birth and earth earthships stinging air and dream of spring when the songbirds sing and the land is sweet and fair. But not us guys with goggled eyes and helmets on our hair. We like the ice, rough or nice, here or way out there. We like wool socks, we ice boat jocks. We like the land that's bare. We like a gale, a streaming sail, no matter when or where. To us, the summer is a bummer. The spring is a bore. And about all we get from fall is thinking what's in store. When timber's in the old wood bin and felt is on the door, it's a lot funner to sharpen a runner than any other chore. The temperature's seven. To us, that's heaven. We wish for seven below. We disdain thermometer gain. And we despise the snow. Sleek as an otter comes smooth, hard water. And Glee we watch it grow. The pond it skims. The lake it rims. We take a step and whoa, we hear a crack. We jump back and wait a day or so. Two knuckles deep, then on we'll creep. And racing we will go.
0: (laughs) 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 That's cool. (laughs) That is too cool. Best
2: recited from tabletop.
0: And, Which of course, you, not, you do want to get out there on the first smoothest ice, but um, you got to remember we're moving 30, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. Right. And you have to think ahead on an ice boat. And once you spot, um, mm. you know, the end of the lake where the ice might be thin, <laughs> you've got to think quickly then because yeah, you'll sketchy. be there very, very soon, you know.
2: And also I always remember as a kid the uh, skippers meetings, You know, in the beginning, in the middle of the races, when the ice was that thin, they would stand really far apart from each other. They couldn't all stand in a tight circle on the ice. And Uh, they'd yell. Sometimes it's too windy. They couldn't really hear each other. They'd be yelling back and forth. (laughs) And again, we're
0: talking about some people who have (laughs) a a certain um, excitement level not easily shared by normals. Uh, (laughs) Could we say it that way? And here's a little thing to reinforce this. This comes from the, uh, I keep this on my refrigerator door. It comes from the Bar Harbor Times of uh, 1909, uh, July, I'm sorry, January 9, 1909, uh, Bar Harbor Record, I believe it was. The ice yacht season was opened at Bar Harbor recently when the first race for the Cup offered last season by E. Shirley Goddard was sailed on Eagle Lake. The fine weather brought to the lakeside a large number of persons interested in the sport, and the excitement at times was intense. (laughs) You know, another understatement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I say, um, kind of goes in waves. I've got a, I uh, sawed up the ice boat, kind of rotted, uh, I sawed it up, put it in the wood pile, and and uh, mm-hmm. I broke. The, I have a snowboat too. I used to uh, goes on skis, but I broke it in half. And, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I'm nice. out of crafts at the present time. And, yeah, me um, too. But we'll be back. Um, do you have another poem, Rebecca?
2: Sure. You want to yeah. do another one oh, now? I love yeah. that. I'll stick with a, um, a deep winter one. This is uh, a poem that I believe is on the, the New England Championship trophy. Um, a couple seasons after my dad died, one of his friends brought over the new trophy, a big gold bowl and a nice big wood base. And this poem is um, etched on a couple of plates on that. I assume that's still in circulation. But um, it, this is called ice call. It describes the various conditions of ice and weather that you might experience in a season of sailing, um, starting with the, that mirror-like first ice that reflects the sky and, uh, and then to the, the messy, bumpy spring stuff that hardens up overnight but gets really slushy during the day. Um, and the glowing wing, of course, is the sail. So ice call. Join us under the glowing wing, above the sky's reflection, in the fluid, gusty sting on watertight perfection. When the steel's razor edge, honed with belt and patient stones, hisses and, in turning, groans above the silt and hidden ledge. Or when the irons clatter rough and the sun is lost to sight, and the gale blows black as night, and the wind comes like a cuff, or when slush licks the face and turns with speed to biting cuts and balmy blows send our race sloughing through the sinking ruts. And when only early morn can firm the black honeycomb, among the rippled holes we roam on recongealed frozen corn, when puffy clouds on painted glass, sunset orange high and low. Dapple heaven as we pass, lighted souls within the glow.
3: Very good.
0: Yeah, yeah. and um, like I say, ice boating is a very peculiar sport, but <laughs> if you ever drive by someplace and see some of them out on the pond, I urge you to stop, get out oh, of yeah. your car. They're
2: very friendly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> very friendly people. <laughs> uh,
1: just as a point of interest also, I um, put a couple pictures of ice boats on them to our Boat Talk website, boattalk.org, hmm. You want to go there, you can see some uh ice boats in action, cool. one of them on two skids. Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: And again, uh, I found this thing called uh Camotech, which is a a, a snowboat. It is a very light framed craft. It has a um, windsurfer rig for propulsion, and a fellow named Gerard mercier of 701 St. Joseph's in Levy, Quebec, Canada. Uh Uh, design this thing and maybe we can put his address up there too but I built one and then broke it in half as I was stuck uh, tension wise on the snow you have to um, you you want to break tension before you get going An ice boat for instance is not the skates aren't running on ice; they're running on melting water as they go. No friction. Yeah, and you can be your skates can be frozen to the ice, and you got to get them loose. Well, the, the snowboat, same thing, till you break the tension of the skis and get it going. So you might want to jounce something down and break that. And uh, it was a very gusty day, and I uh, was sitting at the landing there, and like a forty-knot breeze come along. And the boat bent in half, and I'm bouncing up and down, trying to break the tension, and it snapped in half. And I sat there, and I thought, I'll cry. And I thought, no, I'll laugh, because I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) The mast fell beside me. I'm fine. And I wasn't moving at all, so, you know, um, I'll build another one. I guess that's a good
1: (laughs) good point of ice boats, though. When they break in half, you don't really worry about sinking. That's
0: right. (laughs) I've had that happen, too. And if you're going, let's say, conservatively, I was going 40 miles an hour when the thing broke in half, Skidded for probably a half a mile or more. Oh, yeah. yeah. On yeah. some smooth ice yeah. before I stopped moving. Yeah. And like parts of the boats were <laughs> all, everywhere. You know, everywhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was I remember fun. I, I, Art Payne talking about skidding yeah. up the beach, across the road, and into somebody's front lawn. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that was down on Echo Lake on MDI, a gust off the mountain, you know, uh, what wow. can I tell you? So uh, There's
2: some stories, I yeah. mean, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah, I'm hopefully, voting. maybe we'll get a uh, ice boat poem or, or, or so in at the end of the program, too. But That'd be great. We'll move on to, all right. we got a, a full boat of stuff here, too, don't we? And What was Amy motioning about with the telephone there a little while ago? She's going to get a hold
1: of uh, J.B. Smith. Okay. Uh, she's she's going to try him now. Yeah. JB was on our he's show there, as Mike Sudden. Oh, he, he's on it. Okay. Oh, sorry. JB, thanks for uh, thanks for sticking with us. Good morning.
3: Good morning to you.
0: Where do we find you this morning, Captain?
3: Well, I'm down here in Florida this morning.
0: Oh my God! Why? What are you doing down there? Is it warm?
3: Yeah. Oh, it's pretty warm. Raining down here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
3: quite warm though. I'm looking out here. There's green grass and buds are coming out. All sorts of buds are coming out. <laughs> Uh, springtime
0: almost. Huh. Uh, uh J B, we had you on Boat Talk last month. We had a we had a good time. You were an excellent guest, I must say, just uh, you know, chit chatting besides the subject we were talking about, which is the organization you're involved with, the Ocean Classroom Institute, uh sail training kind of um, um thing with an educational component and um you know, we just want to touch on that again because we were physically off the air last month and we had such a good conversation with you. I got to say, it's a podcast up at weru.org and also at boattalk.org. But here's the thing, JB we see in the meantime that you've been awarded a lifetime achievement award for being like a captain and a half. <laughs>
3: Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it makes me a little bit nervous, that lifetime achievement, because as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I've still got a life. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was real nice. The American Cell Training Association uh, awarded that back uh, last November. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was quite an honor for sure.
0: A lifetime achievement, like you say. Uh, you know, I'm not dead yet, yeah, right? <laughs> you should say not yet.
3: <laughs> as, as far as I, yeah, I've checked this morning, and so far so good, yeah.
0: Um. You know, modesty besides, J.B., what kind of, you know, how do you? How long you been doing this?
3: Oh, my goodness. Well, the first time I got involved in sail uh, education, so to speak, I mean, when we were taking students out on boats and, and showing them the ropes, literally, was uh, back in about 1976, I think it was, when I got involved in my first what I call funky boat, that is traditional sailing vessel, which was a, a square rigger, a brig-rigged a wooden vessel, which we uh, were running out of Tampa, Florida and all the way up into the New England waters uh, over the last over that uh, three or four year span of time that we did such a thing. So that was my first uh, sail training vessel, and uh, that's kind of morphed uh, over the years into what I'm doing now.
0: Let's go back to the old boat talk question. What happened to you as a young child that made you silly about boats?
3: <laughs> yeah, well, the first one I can remember I was about two years old sailing in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, in My father's uh, small sloop. We Still in St. Johns River, there in and out and round about, and then we took it from there to uh, when he moved over where I am now. right, speaking from Tallahassee, Florida, uh, and that's where I grew up. And we always had boats around. The first boat I can really remember was in sailing vessel was a Beetle Cat. He had one of the early fiberglass uh, Beetle Cats. I think Beetle was one of the first boats to build production fiberglass. Uh, that was back in the fifties, uh, I think, something like that. Anyway. Uh, so he had one of those, and then we had an no Day Day sailor and all that sort of thing to sail the Gulf Coast as I was growing up. That's where it all kind of got started and continued on into college when I was doing racing. Started a little ocean racing uh I was going to college in St. Petersburg, Florida. And then I kept on going and on and on and she went. So that's where it all got started.
0: Yeah. And the outfit you're with now is called the Ocean Classroom Institute, oceanclassroom.org. Um, Last time you were here, you were just trying to, uh, uh, you had a schooner that was off on another trip. What's going on right now?
3: Yeah, well, uh, right now, she just started a trip. That was the schooner Harvey Gamage, Ocean Classroom Foundation. Yeah, just got started on a trip yesterday, in fact, uh, cast off from St. Thomas, and now they're in the British Virgin Islands uh, with a group of 15 high school students who will be on for the next four months. Uh, So they just began their voyage. They'll uh, sail from. The Virgin Islands, uh, down through the island chain, as far south as Trinidad, Tobago, and then up to San Domingo. Uh, uh, We oftentimes go to Haiti, but we're not going to Haiti this time as much as they might need. But at any rate, uh, on around into the Western Caribbean, into uh, Honduras, Belize, and eventually end up in Boston uh, first week of June. And those students will receive, uh, uh, if they succeed, which we presume they will, a semester's worth of high school credit for their efforts, uh, uh, which is uh, given through uh, the Proctor Academy there in Andover, New Hampshire. But uh, that's what they do. That's our four-month uh, program that we do each year with high school students from anywhere in the world, uh, anywhere around the country, whatever. A bunch of them are coming from Maine, but they also come from faraway places, California or whatever. Um, so it's open enrollment. That's our that's our spectacular, what I consider spectacular uh, uh, blue Plate, uh, whatever, fancy program which we really enjoy to do each year. The longest one that we do. Other programs are anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks to a couple of months. But uh, that's our longest program. And travel so, six, 7,000 nautical miles during the course of that
0: period. Wow, and these lucky high school kids, they're not only uh, learning to sail that traditional sailing vessel, which you described last time as you were taking winches off the last one you got there trying to make it harder to work not easier and they uh, stand watches they sail the vessel they take classes they uh, have assignments they produce papers and and also have a great uh time exploring the world and and the friends they're making on the boat no doubt too that's a pretty neat trip isn't
3: it it absolutely is we consider them apprentice crew members uh, basically apprentice deckhands as I tell our deckhands, we have uh, eight in the professional crew along with three educators, so there's 11 uh, professionals on board in addition to the 15, as oh, many as 20, uh, high school students so are 15 right now. But, uh, yeah, we I, I tell I tell our crew that it's the deckhands' job to work themselves out of a job, and they frequently do. By the time uh, we're even halfway through the trip, uh, sometimes our deckhands are able to step back and, and be day people because by that time our students are, you know, essentially... Qualify to do much of the deck work under supervision. That's their. So we try to get them to uh, work up through greater responsibilities as they achieve uh, greater expertise. So by the end of the trip, uh, you know they're running the watches themselves. They're, they're calling a lot of the sail maneuvers. They're doing quite a bit of the navigating. They're organizing the the ship's routine on a uh, rotational basis as mate of the watch type of a thing. So uh, they yeah they they. Uh, and many of them go on later to become crew members at any one time, uh, I suppose uh, up to a quarter of our professional crew or former students, maybe more.
0: Scarred for life, like uh, oh, Captain scarred. Graham McKay we had. That's oh, how yeah. we got a hold of you. Graham has uh, been a boat talk caller over the last couple of years down to the Lowell uh, uh, Dory Company down in... Uh, Lowell Boat Shop. Yeah, down in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Morning, Graham, if you're out there, man. And... Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, why would they want to escape that orbit after you've got them uh, scarred for life on the old schooner there? And good for you, good for you. And uh, So anyway, once again, um, how do people get a hold of you?
3: Well, they can uh, get a hold of us through that website. Uh, in fact, they're putting up a blog, uh, updating the blog right now for this new trip that's going on. If they wanted to check it out, that's uh, oceanclassroom.org. Uh, they look at that and they can explore around all kind of uh, inspirational photographs and
0: yeah, you can on, sort of trip with the kids. They're the kids. They're blogging. I mean, they're taking pictures with their cell phones and stuff. There, it's all it's all up there, and you can follow along. I did yeah. find that quite interesting because they're, yeah, they're all... I'm sorry they're they're exploring this new world too. Uh, that's just uh, mm-hmm. like I say, uh, it just uh, floors some of them, and and it comes across in the blogs. I was I was quite entertained.
3: Right. Yeah, and especially when you're reading their comments, of yeah. course, about their experience there. They're not all positive. We're not talking about sunshine all the time, that sort of thing. They'll, they'll tell it like it is. The kids will, you know, because they get wet and miserable and, uh, you know, fed up with the whole thing as anybody normally would. But uh, towards the end or even in the beginning or, or certainly in the middle, they start appreciating their experience. And, uh, and it comes out in, the, in those uh, statements they make. It's, it's quite, uh, well, quite good to read because it's, 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 not, uh, it's, it's unvarnished, let's put it that way. They're telling it uh, as they're experiencing it, so that's, that's always good. But, you know, you kind of go through that tough time, and you come out and it makes you stronger, as they say.
0: Well, Captain JB Smith, uh, last you were here in person last month uh, again, uh, plowed up on uh, BoatTalk.org or WERU.org, and I could tell from your gray beard and your uh, you know salty colored hair there that you uh, had some experience. But lifetime achievement award, I mean, um, uh, uh, congratulations, Captain.
1: Well, thank you. Thank yep. you very much.
0: Yeah, good talking
1: with you, JB. Yeah, right. we'll be talking yeah. again.
0: Yeah, we like to talk to you anytime.
1: All right.
0: All right. Good morning.
1: That's OceanClassroom.org. Let's go to um our other guest, Larissa Kerlick from the Marine Environmental Institute.
4: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, and we also have uh, Joe Royal on the line, I believe, too. Hello, Joe. You- Joe, you there?
5: there?
1: Hello, glad to have you with us.
5: Thank you.
1: Yes. Um, with us right now is a guest right here in the studio named Larissa Kurlich, who works for the Marine Environmental Institute, and she's going to be talking a little bit about uh, the problems with plastic in the ocean. But I believe your, your project is pretty interesting. Um, you're going to be captaining a, a boat that's made from recycled materials. Why don't you talk about that?
5: Yeah, well, we've just built a 60-foot catamaran in San Francisco, and actually the buoyancy, 70% of the buoyancy is reliant on 12,000 recycled 2-litre plastic water bottles, but the superstructure is actually virgin plastic. It's the same chemical makeup um, as the 2-litre plastic water bottle, Um, but it's it's called SRPT, which is the, the same plastic. And um, we've tried to manufacture the boat in a, cradle, in a cradle-to-cradle way, so use, making sure that we use only one chemical, one type of plastic, which makes it um, easier for the recycling process. It means that you can actually upcycle something instead of downcycling it um, into, say, packaging and carpet, which is very typical of recycled recycle plastic bottles.
0: Joe, uh, I got to ask where do we find you this morning and where does your accent come from?
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in San Francisco, but um I'm from the north of England originally.
0: Yeah. Mm. Cool. Now um this plastic that you're going out to discover in the ocean is what you call, I guess ultimately downcycled, isn't it?
5: Ultimately, it's just um because pl- plastic has no value at the moment, it has no recycling value. Um, unlike alu- aluminum, um, it means that I think people don't really think about what happens to, to the end product. We consume so much plastic without really thinking about it, and um, and therefore lots of it gets gets drifted into the ocean. I mean, if you think about how much plastic you see on the street every day, eventually that's got to end up somewhere, and unfortunately it is it's often the beach and, the, and then the sea.
0: Joe, I got a little vision. Um, Just bear with me for a minute here. Captain Cook, when he was sailing off in the South Seas years ago, um, you know, kind of discovered Tahiti or come there very early on, you know, and and uh, stayed there for a while. And the sailors found that for a nail, if you had a nail, you could you could get a wife, okay? Because that nail was so valuable to those people. You talk about the ultimate in recycling. Yeah. Pretty soon. The sailors had no nails to hang their hammocks on, and pretty soon the boat was falling apart, okay? And that's the ultimate, but I've always thought when I'm cleaning out, like, a, um, a Ziploc bag to reuse it, I'm thinking, what if I had a Ziploc bag to give those women? I mean, think of the value of that, okay? And we throw them away, you know what I mean? And it's kind of a bad joke, but still... Um, like I say don't think
5: you should try and we your, your lady with a Ziploc bag. Well,
0: it's the, it, it <laughs> speaks to the ultimate or or non-value of anything. Yeah. An old rusty bent nail or a Ziploc bag, and, and the exactly. Ziploc bags end up in the ocean nowadays. We exactly. throw them away.
5: And that's what we're trying to think about. We're trying to think about how do we manufacture plastic in a way that it is valuable.
1: One question I have for you, Joel, having seen the, uh, the website in the, picture of the, the the catamaran. You can see that there are um, I guess I'll call them racks of uh bottles mm-hmm. that you have filled up with air all along the both of both of the hulls. Um is there going to be a skin over that whole thing?
5: No, there's not. I mean it's it's kind of it's difficult to picture how they how the boat is, but the the two hulls are actually have actually have the plastic bottles bottles exposed to them. So instead of the skin, there's uh, layers of water bottles.
1: Seems like there'd be a lot of turbulence that way.
5: Yeah, but you know, so did I. I thought there would be too. And actually, we've been sailing, we've been test sailing her in the bay. And she moves, we've not tested her in much seaway yet, but she moves pretty well. She um, really, in quite minimal amounts of wind, we do go forward. We're not like a light displacement Mm multi-hull, but um, we definitely go forward, she's very rigid in the water, and we've had her up to six knots, but we've not really, we've not really had the sea space to get her any faster and to concentrate on boat speed yet, so I'm a lot more positive than I was when we initially launched her.
0: And the boat was launched uh, first of the year, more or less, right? Yes, it was. So you're just getting the feel of this thing.
5: (laughs) We are indeed.
0: Interesting. Um, quick question: I, I looked at this, and as a boat builder, I couldn't quite figure it out either. But um, you did something to the to the bottles with dry ice to harden them or some such.
5: Yeah, because they're facing the you know because they're 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 not skinned. We filled them with twelve ounces of dry ice, which makes them really really solid. So that when they you know so that the ocean doesn't ruin their, in- the force of the wave doesn't ruin their integrity. And so far, so good. We've not lost any bottles and they've not, um, we actually filled them with dry ice about two years ago so we're very confident that they're going to stay full. And they're kind of laced into the side with behind um, pipes, very thin pipes, and then we're putting longitudinal sort of stringers around them as well. So this, this is very. I'm very confident that they won't pop out and we won't end up getting, lying low in the water and having a very wet re- journey.
0: There may be uh, some of my boat builder buddies out there scratching their heads right now, but there's pictures yeah. on a website, aren't there, Joe?
5: Yes, it's, it's, it's actually quite useful to have a look at a picture. It's on um, um, so that's
0: Plastiki, sort of after Contiki now. You guys have sort of a geodesic a uh, dome kind of little shelter on the deck there and and uh you're gonna put a few people on the boat and where are you going? What do you wanna do?
5: yeah well, we've got um we're gonna go from San Francisco towards sydney um and on board we're gonna have about six maybe seven seven people um we have obviously the founder of the project, uh David de Rothschild, who's a kind of environmental thought leader and creative, and that's, it's all his his uh, dream, um, and it came about in 2006 when he was reading a report from UNEP on marine debris, and originally he wanted to sail to the Pacific Gyre um, and kind of film it and make a little documentary about it, and then as time has gone on, the dream has become wilder and wilder, and instead of sailing to the Gyre, we've, we are... We are, he is trying to create something that hopefully makes people think about how to avoid plastic, you know, how to reduce the amount of plastic in the ocean and rethink waste as a resource fundamentally. Um, so on the way, um, we're going to stop at two different uh, different Pacific islands um, and obviously also monitor the marine debris that we do see in the ocean.
0: Use the word gyre a couple of times and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great word, and and uh, it's just one of the great principles of the of this planet. Everything on this planet goes around in circles. The planet's spinning, right? Yeah. And uh, the oceans circulate in circular patterns. Um, in the East Coast here, we've talked about it. Um, you have the Gulf Stream, which is coming mm-hmm. north. It's a river of warm water, and um, it is so uh, vital to the climate. Uh, What people don't realize is that it comes up, it curls around, it heads over towards northern Europe, and and so it has a, it has, but it has, it makes a big circle, but here's the other thing. Underneath the Gulf Stream is a cold water river going south, underwater, okay, and it's circling too, and all these big circles have little small, those are the big gyres, I guess you'd call them, but in this big circular pattern, there are lots of little circles, Lots of little eddies, lots of little gyres, lots of like say it's all everything's circling some in the big circle, and the bigger circles are made out of things circling in little circles, you know, mm-hmm. and so you have things like um rafts of trash, uh, you know sailing in the Gulf of Maine, you come across a raft of seaweed raft of seaweed, yeah, you know, and um there are places in the Pacific where you'll find rafts of trash, a lot of plastic that's just circling itself, isn't
5: it, yeah. I mean it's it makes sense really to anyone that's spent time on the ocean you kind of you're unsure and you see all this plastic on the streets and and by the sea and And a lot of people don't they well a lot of people didn't used to think well, where does it end up and it's obvious that the next start really when we think about it and now our eyes have been open, thanks to captain Charles Moore, really um you realize that it's going to end up in the ocean and and then you're quite right, everything. In the ocean is, is circling around, and basically the gyre is just where convergence zones of ocean currents meet and form that kind of, as Charles Moore eloquently puts it, like a vortex, like a toilet that doesn't flush. But oh. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful, Charles Moore. But Great I, image. <laughs> but it is, and I think that <coughs> when when I spent time with him, he made me, you know, he opened my eyes to the fact that it's not just the Pacific. The, the North Pacific, that we get this convergence zone. It's just that's where it's been, you know, the story has been visited and the stories have been told about. There's actually five known major conver- convergence zones in the, in the ocean. There's the North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, Indian Ocean, South Atlantic. And, and they're all areas of accumulation of marine debris. They, there hasn't been that much research on them yet, apart from there's a team out in the Sagrasso Sea Sagrasso Sea at the moment looking at that gyre. But I think that Plastic in the Ocean is actually a bigger, you know, so much, so much more of a deal than just this one area because I think that originally I remember opening the Telegraph which, you know, the English newspaper one morning and seeing this great visual that Captain Charles Moore had created of this kind of mountain of plastic, and it made me think, wow, it was so you know, so touching that it made everyone want to do something about it. But it kind of made me think, okay, well, we need to go there and clean that one area of rubbish up, and once that's cleaned up, then, you know, then the Asians will be at peace again. But unfortunately, the problem is so much bigger, and, and the more I've learned, um, the more I realize that, you know, many types of plastic sink to the bottom of the to the seabed, and we know very little about that. And also, the plastic, the actual problems that we have, one of the main problems we have is that plastic, as it disintegrates, as it photodegrades in the ocean, um, the surface area of the plastic becomes big, larger, obviously, because the smaller, smaller particles, more smaller particles. And those smaller particles then act like a, um, act like a sponge. Um, for persistent organic polluters so they're absorbing all the toxins in the ocean like the pesticides and, and insecticides and then obviously we have all the filter feeders coming along and the small fish and then the, the bigger fish eat the small fish and then our, our lovely tuna comes along and, and eats that bigger fish and, and then they're full of toxins that we're then eating and that, that's, becoming, you know, that's affecting us in the food chain so I think we are, we've got to, you know, obviously as sailors we we are very connected with the ocean and it's kind of our heart of, it makes us feel like we're at the heart of the air, of the world, but when you, whether you're in the desert or in the middle of a city, inland city, eating sushi or breathing or experiencing, you know, every every drop of water we drink and breath we take, we're, we're totally connected to the ocean and I think that that's one thing that we're also trying to you know, trying to realize ourselves.
1: Joe, um, I'd like to go to our other guest Larissa here who is also uh, deeply involved with the, pardon the pun, uh, with plastic (laughs) in the oceans and Let her talk a little bit about what you were just sort of touched on—the the the, the toxicity and what's happening with all this plastic. It's breaking down.
4: Yeah, well, I think Joe brings up a a great point of that. It's shocking to see the pictures of the plastic floating in the ocean, but. But the even larger problem here is what's happening as those plastics degrade and, you know, now there's all this talk about you shouldn't be drinking from water bottles because of the toxins that are in the water bottles. And, and as those water bottles reach the sea, now all those toxins are making their way into our oceans and they're getting into the fish and they're working their way up the food chain. And so now you have the double effect of not only the release of these toxins into the ocean from plastics, but also the Plastics becoming these small plastic particles being sponges of other toxins. So it's becoming quite a complicated and, and significant problem in our oceans today. Um, not just in the Pacific, but also you know, in the North Atlantic here as
1: well.
0: None of this occurred to me when I invented plastic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited
0: at the time, you know. It was all upside.
1: Yeah, remember, right. remember Dustin Hoffman, The Way of the Future.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> but this planet is sort of like that. With, uh, you know, what if you're not looking or noticing unintended consequences, you're not paying attention, really, on Earth. I think, and that's what we're talking about here, and, and plastic soup. The whole thing is based on plastic (laughs) soup, is what we're talking about. Seventy-what percent of the planet is ocean, and it's a plastic soup.
4: It's a plastic soup, and unfortunately the the amount of plastics we're producing continues to increase, so everything we can do, I think the the Plastiki is such a great example of raising awareness of these issues because there is such a need to really stop the production of plastics and, and to get people to be more aware of what they throw out and what they're using. Yeah.
1: Yes, so uh we need to uh, make our gyroscopes much larger to see the, the real problems that are mm. going on in the
0: in the water. Captain uh uh Joe Royal out in San Francisco there, when's this uh voyage scheduled for?
5: Um at the moment we are still we're test sailing in the bay and um, and then we're going to test sail out of the bay and see what they Pacific Ocean swell, does to our craft, which we're very, very confident about. And then we are h- aiming to leave towards the end of March.
0: Joe, you said that um, I forget how you put it, but is your confidence increasing in this craft? Do you? Uh, it is. Yeah. yeah well, uh, when I
5: first met, um, I mean, I love to, I love going on on ocean adventures. So when I first met um, David de Rothschild to talk about the project. Um, I was obviously totally on board. My passion for the environment and for spending time in the ocean, it was was perfect. And then when I came to San Francisco, and I saw this, originally when I first came, I just saw this pile of, I think it was probably about 15,000 two-litre plastic water bottles that were being washed and filled with dry ice. I was like, oh my goodness, what is it going to be like? Is it going to be like a raft or a sailing boat? know where in the scale is it from floating across the Pacific on a few plastic water bottles to, to a <clears throat> sailor boat? And actually, um, she's, pretty, she's a strong ocean-going vessel that's been created, and it's a, it's a really good example of, of how to use waste as a resource and, and how to rethink how we use plastic.
0: You guys sound like you are taking it um, very Cautiously and incrementally and responsibly uh, trying not to break the thing before you go off on your adventure. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, it, sort of, I it, think, isn't
5: it? Yeah, well, and you've got to realize that, I mean, you'll realize that it takes a great, you know, you've got to have a great amount of, a great deal of respect for going on an ocean voyage. And I think we've definitely incorporated that into the project from day one.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we'll be filming this, we'll be blogging, we'll <laughs> be, uh, I guess, following you.
5: You need to come and see us in San Francisco before we leave.
0: Thank you, Joe. What a great (laughs) invite. Um, I uh, do a lot of deliveries. I'd I'd want to, uh, like I say, uh, check the boat out before I signed up to go across the ocean myself. (laughs) being a boat builder. Do you
5: sail across the Pacific?
0: I never have, no. no. No, I never
5: have either, so I'm very excited about
0: that. Uh, they don't call it Pacific for, uh, you know, its calmness, I believe. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, we, st- we tend to stick to the right coast.
5: Yeah, me too. Me too, obviously, being from England, it's the Atlantic, it's my playground normally.
0: Best of luck with that, Joe. and again, uh, the website one more time, please.
5: It's key. Yeah. And you spell p- dot com, sorry, and Plastiki is spelled P L A S T I K I.
1: It's a very interesting site. I think I recommend anybody check it out and uh, keep up with it too. We're, we're going to be uh, probably checking back in with you in a yeah, couple definitely. of months. Travel safely, Captain. Please. please. <laughs> okay.
5: Yep. Thank you very much for your right. time. Goodbye. Yeah, you.
1: Good okay. morning. Yep. As a follow-up. Plastiki did make it over to Australia, and then com, the organization, became pretty much an online anti-pollution And I also wanted to encourage website, people to check, check out Mary's website as well. And we just relaunched
4: our website. It's www.maryresearch.org, and um, you can go on. We had Charles Moore last month come and speak at Mary and. We're doing a whole series of lectures this year for our 20th anniversary. So we'll be bringing other people in um, to talk about some of these issues facing our oceans.
1: W- uh, why don't you uh, run down into some of your upcoming shows?
4: Sure. Well, this Thursday we're going to have Amy Knowlton from the New England Aquarium, and she's coming with a group of students and a teacher From the Adams School in Castine, and the talk is called "Saving a Species: Students in Science in Action." And they'll be looking at the uh, the plight of the right whales here in the North Atlantic, and talking about uh, how to preserve and protect them as an endangered species. Uh, We also have a, a video night series going on on Friday nights through from now through March, and this Friday, luckily we have a. Addicted to Plastic, it's the film we're showing, so that Perfect. ties in nicely <laughs> <Yeah>. for anyone <laughs> interested right. in, in learning more about these issues about our disposable culture here with right. plastic.
1: We have a phone call, so let's uh, interrupt you, sure. and we'll go to that phone call and get back. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
3: Hi, this is Will from Rockport. Good morning.
1: Hi, Will. Morning, Will.
3: I'm, like to, uh, I'm curious about the, uh, the plastic boat and UV degradation of all that plastic it sounds like potentially uh... adding to the problem although they probably already figured it out but i didn't hear anything about it thanks a lot
0: that's a good question yeah, that's an interesting question Will. and I, i was um, you know it's sort of like raw faith raw faith is degrading uh, the self-built galleon for uh... handicap accessibility um, the nails that it's built of are electrolyzing as we speak okay and it's gonna die of nail sickness uh... uh plastics Degrade most of them in sunlight, and that's why they've tried to make those bottles hard by the uh, uh, dry ice technique, I guess. So you're right. It, it is. It
1: also pressurizes them too, as you think of it, because yeah. the, the uh, as the as the dry ice it warms up and it expands and pressurizes the bottles and makes them harder.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess ultimately, what they're saying with plastiki is plastic isn't all a bad thing. Here's here's a good use for some, and I guess they've been. Uh, you you might want to check out the website again. The plastiki uh, was what it was, and uh, you know they have um, really thought uh, hard and long. I guess is the nicest thing you could say about how to build this boat and come up with an unusual well, I think it's method. A-
1: interesting too that they're using recycled plastic. You know, because a lot of fiberglass yeah. boats are right straight from the. Uh, from the oil fields. I think
0: they've challenged themselves, too, uh, as I remember when I looked at it, not to have too much waste in the in the building of the boat, just for instance. That can be a big factor with boat building Canada, Alan. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah. And yep. how you get rid of it, too. But that's another story. So thank you very much, Will. And we'll... Uh See if we can follow up. Yeah. on
0: that one. Now, Mary is located right in beautiful Blue Hill, right Maine. In Blue Hill, yeah. Yeah, exactly. and what do we do besides have films and lectures and just in general?
4: So Mary is focused on um, preserving and protecting our ocean environment, both here in Maine and and across the world. So we do research at Mary um, focused on monitoring the co- coastal ecosystem here in Blue Hill, as well as looking at how. Chemicals are getting into the environment and affecting marine wildlife. Um, we also do education programs, and we have a new education program actually focused just on this issue of plastics in our ocean. And so, Martha, who's our education director, goes into the schools and and does um, classes on this. And um, we also do outreach through through these events. And this is our 20th anniversary this year, so our lineup is quite exciting uh, lectures throughout the year. We're bringing in top marine scientists and speakers, journalists who have been focusing on threats to our oceans and and looking at solutions, not just the problems, but also focusing on the solutions to those issues this year. So they run once a month, every month, for the rest of the year. And I encourage people to go on our website again to learn more about what we have coming
1: up.
0: That's good, yeah. And as you said, 20 years, uh, founded by Dr. Sue Shaw,
4: isn't it? Dr. Susan Shaw, yes. Yeah. She's a marine toxicologist yeah. and author as well.
0: we got to thank uh, Larissa uh, Kerlick, and uh, we have also Rebecca Hunter. And Rebecca gets the last word this morning.
2: Hi, Mom. <laughs>
0: All right,
1: we um, should quickly give the website for Mary for people who would like to get some more information and maybe have a... Your education come to their school too. What is the website
4: It's ww.maryresearch. That's researchorg
1: Okay, thank you very much, Larissa.